I remember almost like it was yesterday, 25 years ago when I got baptized. I'd been an atheist most of my life and went on a spiritual journey and became a Christian. And uh, that's still a very memorable moment when I declared to the public that I was a a follower of Jesus. And and since that time, uh, not only am I a pastor here, but I also practice law. I go to work. And, And I don't know about you, but some days I go to work and like, it's a total disaster. <laughs> I, get, I get nothing done, nothing accomplished. It's, it's just a, a, a day of nothingness. But then there's days I go to work, and I'm just in the zone, right? I mean, I'm like a machine. I'm getting so much done. I'm like a work ninja, you know? It's just one of those days everything's working. And, and the question you may have is, why does that happen? And in fact, you may have a lot of questions about this thing we call work. Well, if you do, today's your lucky day, because that's our topic for today. We're, we're talking about work. As Dave said, we're in a series called High Resolution. And what we're trying to do is bring into focus God's picture for your life. And the way we're doing that is we're taking some very practical topics that all of us experience in our lifetime, and we're trying to help you understand God's plan for that area of your life. And today is work. Now, the way my brain works I have to ask the most foundational, fundamental questions about just about any subject. And when I was an atheist, when I wasn't a believer, that was pretty frustrating because very rarely on the most important issues of life did I find that the world was giving me satisfactory answers. But that all changed when I became a Christian. I finally had a source book written by the God of the universe that answered every major question that I encountered in my life. Doesn't tell me why God made red ants or mosquitoes, but you know, I'm spotting him that one. But, but every, every major question that I've ever had is answered by this book. And it is inspired by God. It is totally reliable and is without error. And that's why each and every week, Dave and I teach from this book. You don't need to hear our thoughts about a subject. You don't need to hear experts' thoughts. You need to hear the God of the universe. And so I wasn't surprised as I started delving into this topic of work that this book gave me the answer to the most foundational questions. Why does work even exist? What's the purpose? Well, if you'll open your Bibles, if you have them, or your devices, to Genesis 2, we get an answer. And I think we have that Genesis 2-2 up here. And this is what the Bible says. It says, and this is God creating, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So, So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now, folks, that has truly profound and important implications. If you think about that, the God of the universe, the triune God, the three-in-one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, totally satisfied and content in himself, totally love, totally joy, apparently is an active, creative, working God. That's what the Bible tells us. But that, that shouldn't surprise us, should it? I mean, you just look at the universe, right? There's, do you know there's over 200 billion galaxies out there? Just our galaxy, the Milky Way, has almost 200 billion stars. You start multiplying that, and you get hundreds of trillions of stars in the universe with hundreds of trillions of planets. 
Now, on our planet, I got to thinking about the, the wildlife and, and the living organisms on, on the planet Earth, what, what we here in Texas call critters, okay? Not plants, but critters. And, and, and I was trying to think, how many critters are there out there? And, and I, you know, as I tallied up animals and insects and bugs, I figured a few thousand. I did some research on the internet, and the, the journal Biology has just published the most extensive uh, study on cataloging uh, living organisms, and there's 8.7 million different species on this planet. This is an amazing, active, creative God who gets joy and satisfaction in working. And one of the things that happened is he created us in his image. And so before the fall, before we had sinned, he set us to work in the garden. And we, I think we have this scripture. It's Genesis 2.15. And it says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You know, I always thought that work was just this horrible thing, but originally it was meant to be our joy and satisfaction. We were going to work the garden in perfect relationship with our Father God, and it was going to be satisfying and enjoyable for eternity. So why do we have those bad days? What's happened? Why, why, don't, we, why don't we experience that? very often. And the answer is that something evil happened. Men and women, for reasons we don't know, rebelled against God. They made the conscious decision to disobey him. And this caused a catastrophic breach in our universe. Romans talks extensively about this. That when man and women sinned, sinned, this thing called sin corrupted all of creation. Almost like a computer virus gets, in, gets into things. Everything is broken. And so work is not what it was meant to be. We get glimpses of what it's meant to be occasionally. But by and large, it will never be what it was meant to be until we go to the new heavens and the new earth. And so you might think, well... That's a little depressing. <laughs> you know, isn't there anything we can do in, in the meantime? And, and the answer is yes, that there are things we can do, and the Bible lays it out. And by the way, it, it actually is a good thing that, that work is not ultimately satisfying. Because if it was truly satisfying the way it was meant to be, then we probably wouldn't have that longing in our heart that we have. Part of the, part of the longing in my heart is, man, when is, when is this work, when is this constantly trudging and working hard going to come to an end? And the answer is in the new heavens and the new earth. But, but that longing in my heart leads me to understand that my real longing is to be reunited, to have my relationship with God reestablished. And so in a sense, the fact that work is broken and isn't ultimately satisfying is a pointer back to God, which is really the only thing that will ultimately satisfy. And in the meantime, what do we do? Well, there's two things that the Bible says not to do, okay? And we're going to start with these, and one is don't be lazy. And I think we have that in Proverbs 2. I'm sorry, Proverbs 6, and um, let's see. Here we go. I love the word that the Proverbs use for a lazy person. They call them a sluggard, okay? I just, I just think, you ever seen one of those ugly, slimy slugs like after a rain or something? I mean, it's just not a very attractive picture. Well, guess what? I think sluggard ought to come back. I think it's a great word because the Bible doesn't paint a very attractive picture of a sluggard. And so in, in Proverbs 6, it says this. 
Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. So the Bible has very negative things. There's dozens and dozens of verses about sluggards and laziness. And that is an, a, a problem in our country that continues to grow, folks. There's tens of millions of people in our country who are not doing productive work. And, and let me make sure you understand. I'm not talking about going to a job at a company every day. That's not what I mean by productive work. If you are staying at home and taking care of children, you are doing incredibly productive work and probably a lot more of it than I am. You know, I have a three-year-old grandson, Joshua, and after an hour uh, with Joshua, I'm exhausted. So I, I, believe me, my daughter does more work than, than anybody I know taking care of him. So I'm not talking about that. And even if you're staying at home and you don't have children, you know, two the hardest working women I know are, are Susan Smith and my wife, Jan. And, and basically, they're taking care of Mark and I and doing so many other productive things. They help at Rock Hills, and, and, and they are two of the most diligent, hardworking people. They are not sluggards. So it isn't a matter of whether you go to an office, because you can go to an office and be a sluggard, can't you? So that isn't what I'm getting at. The, the question is, how do we live, and let's not be sluggards? And I think this began to creep into our country Back in the 80s and 90s, anybody remember a show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? Robin Leach, right? And, and they would focus on basically these fabulously wealthy people that did nothing all day but hedonistic pleasure type stuff. And today we see the Kardashians and Paris Hilton and on and on and on. And I think what crept in with that kind of media focus on these people is that somehow work is so painful that it ought to be avoided, and if you really had made it in life, you would never have to work again. You could just lay around all day and you'd be fabulously happy. And, and interestingly, the research does not support that. In fact, the research says that people who don't work are far less happy. The, the chance of depression is like 65% higher. People who retire, their, their suicide rate go, goes up by four or five fold, according to the National Institutes for, for Health. Survey after survey demonstrate that people who have a job have far more life satisfaction than people who don't. And so it is, truly is a blessing in that regard. And, and, and this idea that's crept into our culture that to you know, finally make it and never work again is a lie. Research has finally caught up to what the Bible is saying. And there's another phenomenon that I want to talk about. Uh, that's, that's going on in our country. It's boomerang kids or, or failure to launch, okay? It's kids that come back and live at home. And, and I understand there are circumstances where that can happen. But what I want to tell you, if you're a loving parent, you need to set appropriate boundaries and, and help your child make a plan to get out on their own and work. There's something powerful uh, that, that happens to your self-worth and your self-dignity that's so important so help your child get back to work. So that's the first mistake we can make, is being a sluggard. The second mistake we can make is being what we would call a workaholic. And I, and I think that's laid out in, um, in Proverbs 23, 4. And it basically says this. Don't wear yourself out getting rich. Have the wisdom to use some restraint. You see, we all know that person at the company 
who just is a total workaholic. They're there all the time. They're, they're working all the time. And maybe they're progressing. Maybe they're not. But everything else in their life has gone haywire. It's out of whack. They're out of balance. I was reading one commentator that said, Americans are so funny because we elevate the, the sluggard, the, the person who does nothing, that's so wealthy they just lay around all day, and we almost put them to heroic status. And then we take the, the workaholic whose life is a disaster, and we say, oh, this is a hero. This is a wonderful person. And he said in that article, only in America could you describe a guy who worked at a company for 30 years, raised up to be the CEO making millions of dollars. And on that way, he went through three divorces, one child committed suicide, and the other's a drug addict. And in America, they call that guy a, a success. And that's not God's definition of success. You need to have balance in your life. That's what the word is saying. So we have to balance that. We have to work hard but, and, and not be a sluggard, but we can't let it get out of proportion. And so the question becomes, now, how do I do that? And that is a great question. The Bible has a lot to say about that. It's one of the things that, one of the reasons why you need to be in your scripture, you need to be in the word. Because there is so much to say about work. In fact, Dave and I were talking about it, and we believe that later on this year we'll probably do a series about work because it is such a vital topic in our culture, in our society, in our lives. Most people will work 80,000 hours during the course of their life. It's, it's the thing that you will do most outside of sleeping during the course of your lifetime. And we believe that's worthy of, of some more messages somewhere down the line. So that's, that's what we feel about work. And so today is sort of a survey. And, and one of the things the scripture says, one of the pieces of advice it gives us is in Colossians 3.23. And I think we have that verse. And what this says is, Work as to the Lord. That's how we should work. Now, the reality out here is that there's some people who have a miserable supervisor or boss. The best thing that could be said about he or she is they're a jerk, okay? That's a reality for some people. The reality for some people is they work at a company that doesn't value you, that, that doesn't treat their workers well. That's a reality for some of you. I really need to encourage you and to urge you to connect with a deeper reality. And that's what this verse is saying. The truth is, when we work, we should work as to the Lord. Now, you need to bring that in some practical way into your workplace. Every day, you need to try to strive to do that. You know, carry on a conversation with God through prayer. Not out loud, they'll call the psychiatrist on you, okay? Carry on a conversation. Act as though, in a very real way, God is your supervisor. Talk with him. Get guidance from him. Understand that you're really performing for an audience of one, and that's God. And if you read the Gospels, you will find, as I did, what emerged from the page is the most loving, encouraging, joyful presence I could imagine in the form of Jesus. And so I try each day to see Jesus as my supervisor and work as unto him. And that's what the Bible is saying. The second piece of advice that I'm going to give you today is found in, in Ephesians 4.28. And it says something pretty interesting. It says, stop stealing and work so that you may have something to share. You see, the truth of the matter is that if you're not working, 
then you are living off the work of somebody else, aren't you? Maybe you're stealing like, like this says. You know, there's a lot of people in this country, apparently welfare fraud and disability fraud and unemployment fraud is rampant in our country. You know, billions and billions of dollars being stolen by people who are capable of working. And that's what this verse is talking about. You know, don't steal. But, but it says something else here, doesn't it? It says, so you might have something to share with others. Many of us know one of the most profound truths that Jesus ever taught. It's more blessed to give than receive. If we really believe that, why wouldn't we be busting our tails to go and give more? And and I can talk from personal experience. Because when I became a Christian 25 years ago, my mindset was, no way I'm giving to some con artist church or preacher. No way, that ain't happening. Nobody's separating me from my hard-earned money. And I went on like that for probably almost two years. And then at some point, I reluctantly began to understand that God was encouraging me to share what I had. And so I started making a point to give a portion of what God had given me. And an amazing thing happened. I felt joy and satisfaction like I'd never experienced. I was surprised by that, surprised by joy. And and all you have to do is go down to Honduras the way so many of us do on, on the water projects that, that Mark Smith coordinates. We have one this July, by the way. And see the money that the good people of Rock Hills have given turned into clean water for a village, that they'll have a clean water system for the next 30 or 40 years. Generations will be healthier and blessed because of the generosity of people of Rock Hills. And you began to experience the joy and satisfaction that working so you have money to give. And, and the final way, the final point I can, I can give you today for, for trying to, to work is to work, and this is uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.11, I believe. I think we have that, that verse. And I'm going to paraphrase here, but essentially it says, work quietly with your hands to gain respect of others. And, and this is really to gain respect for the, our family name of God is, is really the implication of this verse. You see, I, I, because I'm just so passionate about having become a Christian, I love sharing my faith with others. And so sometimes people will come up to me and say, Al, I want to share my faith at work. I, I want to share the good news of Jesus. And I look them in the eye and I say, you know what? You're already doing that. The reality is if you've worked any place for any length of time, they probably know where you are on the faith spectrum, whether it's something you have on your car or you know, they heard you once talk about going to church on Sunday. Somewhere along the line, it slipped out, and they know you're a Christian, okay? The more important thing is, what does your work ethic say? You see, if you talk the talk about Jesus and, and the gospel, and, and you're the person at work, who always comes in late, who's not the team player, who's always on the internet, on Facebook. You, you know, uh, you, you just got to go because your friend took that quiz that tells them what state they should live in, and you need to know what state they should live in, right? And so you're on the internet, you're doing all this stuff. People notice that. You are saying something with your life about your Father in heaven. And the reason this is such good news to me is I don't know about you, but I feel so often like, Work is, is just drudgery. It's difficult. It's, it's not fun. 
It, it, it seems meaningless at times. And when I remember this verse, that I have the opportunity to bring honor to my Father who's done so much for me, it, it just gives me such satisfaction, such meaning and purpose in my work life to know I can be communicating to the world something about God simply by the way I work. So I really want to encourage you, please put these three principles into, into action. You know, work is to the Lord, work so you have something to share, and then work to gain respect. And I, I think those three principles are really embodied in a video I found. There's a young lady named Veronica Scott. She's a Christian girl from Detroit. She was at college, and they, they assigned her a project to actually make a real product. And, and she, that launched her into a, an endeavor that, that has satisfied her beyond anything she could imagine. Here's a short video about Veronica. I really believe that people can tackle far more than they think they can. My name is Veronica Scott. I'm 24 years old, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Empowerment Plan here in Detroit. I think women have a really difficult time understanding how valuable they are. The idea of self-worth is very important to me because I grew up a kid of addicts, and we were kind of set up for failure. We were set up in a hole that we had to climb our way out of. I ended up getting a great scholarship to go to college, and a class ended up changing my entire life. The class assignment was designed something to fill actual needs. I did my research at homeless shelters, so the first product I created was the coat. The coat looks like a regular jacket during the day, but when you open it up, you can actually slide your feet in all the way up to your knees and Velcro it closed again to make a sleeping bag. I was talking to the homeless population in that area and getting feedback and making prototype after prototype. When I was on like prototype number seven, a woman came out of the shelter that I was in and she was yelling at me. She was full on screaming. And she said, we don't need coats. Coats are pointless, we need jobs. And really, she was completely right. Because a coat is just a Band-Aid for a systemic issue. And what really would have the impact is hiring the population that would need them in the first place. We hire only individuals from homeless shelters. And then we train them in everything from sewing and manufacturing to employment, as well as tech, and whatever they need to become more independent and to be proud of their accomplishments and be proud of themselves. I'm happy to be working for a cause. It's no greater joy than me coming to work knowing that I can make this coat and, and help somebody that was in my position. So I take great pride in what I do. I really do. You know, actually, I sat at my dinner table with my son last night, and I cried because I was like, you know, last year we were just in a shelter, and now this year we're in a home. I was the only person that could create this opportunity for myself. And that's all we're trying to do, is give them the power to take control of the life that they want to lead. No matter what you've gone through, you still can do a lot with what you have. Amazing story. And, and I, I know part of me watches that and says, man, I would love to have something that satisfying. And, and what I want to really encourage you about is that if you put these principles into practice in your life. Work will become rich and satisfying. When you understand the magnitude of what you're doing, that you're working unto God and you're saying something about his truth into the world, 
work will have great meaning and, meaning and satisfaction. But, but there is one warning I need to give you about work. The problem that some people have is they try to bring work into their relationship with God. You see, we're, we're Americans. We feel like everything we've got, we've gotten by our own hard work. We're independent. We're successful. And we don't need anybody to give us anything. But you know what? The gospel says that you cannot, by your good works, earn a relationship back with God. It's, it's just not possible. In fact, Ephesians 2.8, I think we have that verse, in a very powerful way says this. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works so no one can boast. Do you get that? It is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works so no one can boast. I don't know about you, but if I could work my way to God and pile up good works, I'd be up in there in heaven the whole time saying, look at Al Hasser, aren't I something? And so that's not going to happen. All we're going to really experience is the beauty and wonder of God, not the beauty and wonder of other people up in heaven. All right? And so do not bring this into your thinking about a relationship with God. Just last night, we had a little gathering at our house. And after the party had basically broken up, it was Ryan and Corey Carroll and my wife Jan and I and another couple. And they had understood during the course of this gathering that, they, that we were people of faith, that we went to Rock Hills. And this woman began to ask us questions. We began to explain how you're saved by putting your faith in Jesus because you can't possibly be good enough. And she's a successful woman, and she's like, wait, I've done so many good things. Why do I have to put my faith in Jesus? What does that have to do with anything? My, I'm a good person. And we gently tried to push back and explain to her the, the truth of the gospel, that you can't be good enough. And, and I hope that, con- that first conversation will, will lead to an ongoing dialogue because we could tell she's interested. And, and so that is something we need to be careful about. Everyone here needs to be careful about. You can't be good enough. God was perfect. He lived the perfect life, as Dave has already said and died for us to make us right with God. And the neat thing is we're going to see a picture of that today. All these people understand the gospel. And after you've, accept, after you've accepted Jesus and put your faith in him, understood the gospel, one of the things that's a true joy to do is, is to be baptized. And Pastor Dave, are you going to take over?